0: Struggling with finding that first perfect line or first perfect paragraph. But after that it becomes easier.
1: It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Ruchi Johnson to my podcast. She is an Indian-born researcher and science communicator who works as a scientific writer and editor at Gene Online, a news outlet covering latest stories in biopharmaceutical industry and providing in-depth analysis of novel discoveries and treatments. On this episode, she shares stories from her professional journey, taking her from India to Germany and then to the United States, her approach to overcoming writer's block, and which movie based on Dan Brown's books is her favorite. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. This is, this is such an honor to have you. Finally, it's been, um, it's, it's been a while since since we originally wanted to do this podcast, and I don't want to make it a secret, we only briefly spoke previously. And this is our first face-to-face interaction or face-to-computer-to-face, which is how everything is done these days. So uh, what i like to do in the beginning, I always ask my my, um, guests for some video or or like a video recommendation. So and that's I would like to call it co-video recommendation. What was a highlight of a movie or TV show that you watched last year that you that you feel like really left an impact on you?
0: i think i started with da vinci series again uh, all the dan brown books i mean those were the books that i read long back but i'd never watched those movies oh. so uh, i don't know what happened but we i me and my husband went on a netflix spree uh, during the entire covid period and we happened to see that uh, they were actually streaming uh, all the not all but angels and demons and the da vinci code series as well Okay. Yeah, that's I
1: think yeah, that's I have to say I'm this is great. I we can have a whole other podcast about Da Vinci Code or or, or <laughs> Angels and Demons. This is great. Right. Which one is your
0: favorite? Uh I love Angel and Demons more than Da Vinci Code because I think the book inspired me more towards that movie. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh
0: but besides that, I mean I'm more fan of the books and I I mean I don't uh, feel very good when they make uh, movies out of books because books have like in-depth knowledge about in and out about the yeah. subject that they're talking. Uh, but but uh, anyway, I think they've done enough justice to the movies and I feel that they're very great. Uh,
1: no, I really like both of those movies. Uh, I think I'm personally gravitating towards the Da Vinci Code just because I haven't read Angels and Demons book. I've only read the Da Vinci Code. I vividly remember reading it the whole damn book in one 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 evening. I, that was like one of the quickest reading experiences i've ever had and the the movie was was really good i really like the music but um angels and demons is great i think since it has a science aspect to it sure i, I could see why why you would like it too right i mean unless it's uh, unless it's all about you and mcgregor i don't know i mean maybe it's both yeah <laughs> that's a great recommendation so given your scientific background obviously it's Obviously, only appropriate to ask, um, what was the fascination of science that you had early on that really drew you to the career that you ultimately took? I mean, we all have a curiosity. I mean, is this something that you were also you know, passionate about at, at early age? Right. So uh,
0: during my school period, I was uh, pretty sure that I wanted to study biology because that was only something that was quite effortless for me. And it so happened that I uh, had one of the best biology teachers possible in my school. And he was very inspirational. I mean, that was my first contact with biology. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, uh, I decided to do bachelor's, uh, not having uh, thoughts of doing any pursuing higher education, mm-hmm. but just for the fun of it, because mm-hmm. biology was very fascinating for me. I did, I mean, when I uh, went to do my uh, bachelor's in biochemistry, I again got an inspiration there, uh, one of my professors. And uh, she had in-depth knowledge about the subject. She could connect variety of subjects. She would make geography uh, insert in biology and biology into chemistry. I mean, all that sort of took took my mind away. I was like, wow, if you can uh, do so many things, there's so much to learn out there and uh, i definitely wanted to explore all of that so uh, but then of course <laughs> you know how it is uh, people uh, back in my country people don't uh, just do bio- biology because they want to do it they also look for monetary gains like they want to get a job or something like that uh, in I think after bachelors it is slightly difficult to get a job and I started looking for other options where I could mm-hmm. channel my knowledge of biology, but then also get some money out of it. But <laughs> so I, I attempted a lot of things. I attempted MB exams and but my love for biology had never gone away. So I
1: I could completely relate. Yeah.
0: So I eventually realized that there's no point banging my head on the other careers because I am not fond of that. Even if I get in one of the programs, I would end up failing in those. So mm-hmm. why not just pers- keep pursuing biology? Uh, I asked my teachers, what, professors, what one can do next, and they suggested why mm-hmm. not try masters. So by then, uh, I was fond of plant biology. Uh, most of the influence had come from my grandfather, who is a. Uh, uh, I don't know how much of Ayurveda uh, do you understand, but uh, he was he used to. Uh, make plant medicines Mm -hmm. and give it to his uh, patients and most of them were mainly directed towards diabetic patients Mm -hmm. a lot of inspiration came from him and i wanted to study plants and understand how they influence our body and what we eat and all of that Mm -hmm. so uh, i got into plant biology program i uh, finished that and now i was stuck again as to what do i do next yeah (laughs) but then it so happened that um one of my friends who was not in the field, uh, actually, but he started talking to me and he was telling me that, you know, uh, if you're so much interested in a subject, you should definitely go for PhD. I mean, I was in uh, two minds. I didn't know what to do because PhD is a big commitment. Uh, and uh, I had no clue what to do. And I was not even sure whether it was made up for it. But So between my master's and PhD, I uh, joined a Small summer fellowship. Uh, It was in one of the reputed institutes in India. It's called a Stata Institute of Fundamental Research, and they have this uh, very uh, nice program for all the master graduates who want to get into PhD but are not very sure whether how the research would look like. So I did a small internship there, and that's where that this friend was and. He sort of pushed me that why don't you give it a try, even if you don't, if if you fail maybe in the first semester, you give it up, but at least give it a shot. And he was quite right about it. I really loved, I mean, I moved from moved away from my parents, but this became my second home and I met amazing people. My professor was amazing. I had amazing seven, five years of PhD and two more years beyond because I was also doing some uh, other projects. So uh, all in all, it was an amazing experience and I would say that I'm thankful to him because he actually helped me or pushed me towards the right direction.
1: So it's funny you, you started by saying you really got fascinated with biology. It's, it's really important to have mentors and teachers and professors that really just ignite that spark of, of curiosity and just imagination in a subject but i often i often find that some people would say oh i had a really nice biology teacher but like a chemistry i didn't really like the teacher wasn't so great and uh, in my personal uh, experience i had really good teachers for both biology and chemistry mm-hmm. what do you think about chemists what do you think about chemistry was that also a, a good experience for you or would that actually wasn't the case and you were just mostly uh, fortunate to have biology teachers that were inspiring no you? no
0: i actually love chemistry as well and um- partly it was because of my school teacher but
1: mm-hmm.
0: then we uh, so in india you also prepare for engineering and medical exams simultaneously when you are in your higher ed- i mean in your uh, sophomore oh, mm-hmm. i don't know what it's called as i mean these are the final years of the school mm-hmm. and uh, so i started uh, taking one of these coaching classes where i happened to meet a chemistry teacher and he mm-hmm. was amazing so uh, i personally love organic chemistry but i'm not very fond of uh, inorganic and physical chemistries but these are this is one subject that he made so simple for me and i i mean i still love that uh, subject so much
1: just because uh, of it. that's that's really good um i would say that science and doing i i always struggled with uh, being in love with science but what I've ten, ten, uh, really realized over the course of doing PhD myself is I'm not that good of a researcher in some ways. So doing loving science and doing research in my humble view is very different things. Uh-huh. Are you of the same mind? Like, or you actually, you do love the research aspect of it as well as you love science or you kind of just want to stay clear of the research if you could.
0: Right. I love research. <laughs> <laughs> right. The day I, uh, I did a, dissertation thesis so my masters thesis was in a research lab and uh, i really fell in love with the research part before that yeah. uh, we had we used to do these small experiments here and there yeah. but never got a feel of owning a project which happened only during masters and there there i actually got to think troubleshoot uh, i mean it was not an easy project but uh, it so happened that i learned so many things on the way just because the project was difficult. I had to do everything from scratch. I made my reagents from scratch. I um, grew my plants and everything was new for me, yet exciting. And that was uh, another reason. I mean, not just the person who pushed me towards a PhD program, but also my own uh, inclination towards doing research Uh or working on bench or uh, doing experiments.
1: Do you feel like you could, if you had to do it all over again, would you say that there were like some part of your overall uh, educational experience that could have been shorter? Because I mean, it, it is a really long commitment: bachelor's, master's, PhD. Obviously, some work during high school. Like that's almost. I think if I were my math is right, is over a decade of of your time of your life that has been dedicated to that. Is there any part of it that you feel like in retrospect? Oh, you wish it was kind of a little bit shorter or maybe longer
0: uh i guess my phd could have been shorter mm-hmm. um because a lot of time uh, again i so it has been i mean such things has happened that uh, every time i picked up a project it was more of an exploratory project yeah and so it ended up taking a lot of my time uh The only thing that I want to change about that is um, maybe if I could have uh, done the project with uh, two or three more students, Mm -hmm. it would have helped me do it faster. But I don't regret it so much because in the process I learned so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got to collaborate with um, one of the top most mental institutions, uh, I mean, neurological and mental institutions in India. Mm Uh, I met some amazing scientists who are working with uh, uh, electron i mean hum, human samples they' are studying human samples uh, but mostly by imaging and that uh, that was one of my that was one way I got to learn transmission electron microscopy and there are very few people who get to do that so uh, I would say I did all of that and that took a little bit of time but then I think it's okay because I got to learn a lot in the end.
1: So you now, uh, you were finished your PhD, you had such a long time getting there, you're in love with research. Why stop there? Why not pursue, let's say, uh, like a full-blown academic career, like become a professor? What What was the one thing that said, no, I don't want to do that? Or maybe you still do, I'm not sure. That's why I'm asking the question.
0: So I think uh, the life of a PI <laughs> or a principal investigator is quite tough in a way. Uh, i don't know if i am made up for that uh, because you have to juggle a lot of things together you have to write the grants get the papers out get the money for the lab i felt that the entire process was little tiring and little stressful and i am a kind of person i who don't who doesn't like to take stress but i really love doing bench work and uh, exploring things getting new projects and working on that so that aspect i really love but then there's other aspect of being a professor that i don't love so much and hence i never wanted to get into a full-blown academic career but if somebody tells me that i just need to do workbench work role uh, a bench role then i am up for it that's
1: that's that's interesting um I, because the reason also why i'm asking is in, in as far as i know in india becoming a tenure professor you're set. You're set for life. You you don't really have to worry about too much stress because you don't you don't really get kicked out. As far as I know, right? It's a very secure position. So that's interesting. You say you you didn't want some of that because of the stress. I mean, do you feel like that uh, that kind of job security that you have as a PI in India is wasn't enough? Wouldn't wouldn't have been enough for you?
0: Uh, no, not really. So more than job security for me, uh, the passion in working is more important or the effortlessness in working is more important. If I have to put, I mean, I I love uh, doing new things. I've done that and I don't mind putting effort in exploring new things, but mm-hmm. there are some aspects of that that are just too tiring to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to spend next 20, 30 years of my life just uh, fighting against the administration or uh, fetching money for my project so if somebody can just get me the money i can do tremendous i mean research but okay that's <laughs> just fair getting the that's, money is a tough part
1: that's fair and just i guess maybe st- sticking on 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 the subject of being you know uh, being a professor in india because i just out of my curiosity do you know like What's the, you know, these these days, this year, last year, there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, having the diversity in, in academia, in science. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's maybe the current situation in India as far as the faculty diversity? Um, maybe you can shed some light on that if, if you know something about it. Uh,
0: diversity in terms of?
1: Um, it turns of like, let's say, what's the percentage of female faculty versus male faculty in scientific, in, 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 in STEM careers, basically.
0: Uh, so if you would have asked me this question 10 years back, I would definitely say that female to male ratio was very, very di- different. I mean, uh, uh, male faculties were getting more chance as compared to female faculties. But then again, I don't know if how many female faculties were applying for those positions. Yeah. Now, uh, before I left the institute, I saw that there were uh, many new female faculties had joined the department and I think they were encouraging them to apply and be there.
1: Mm. I,
0: uh, a lot of friends of mine have now joined there as faculties and I know most of them are females. So, uh, I think the, uh, I think diversity in my Institute is definitely changing. I can't say about all other institutes, but Indian institutes because I've not been there. Um, uh, mm. For my particular institute, I
1: think things are changing. That's great. So you were at the crossroads in many ways after finishing your PhD. And uh, obviously, as a spoiler alert, you ended up in Germany. Mm. What was that transition like? I mean, it's not at least when I was in, in Germany, I wasn't expecting to end up being in Germany. It was more of a very quick decision. And it just happens by happenstance. What was your sort of a decision-making process like, did you want to go to Germany? How did that sort of come to be?
0: So uh, I, after I finished my PhD, I was looking for postdocs because uh, I am a researcher and uh, this is like a defined path for any researcher. So I, like any other PhD student, started looking for postdocs. Uh, I happened to uh, find one right in my neighborhood. Uh, So the fellowship uh, that I applied for was NCBS MPICBG fellowship. So a part of work had to be done in NCBS. uh, That was an Indian institution and part of work had to be done in Max Planck. So I applied for that and fortunately I got through. Uh, I had no idea whether I wanted to go to Germany or the States or where, but one thing I was sure that, i definitely want to go perhaps in one of the european institutions just to just for the fact that europe is beautiful and i wanted yeah. to explore more of that yes so uh, yeah so culture wise uh, country wise that was my priority but mm-hmm. if i would have gotten any of the st- institutes in the us i would not have uh, left that opportunity okay uh, never nevertheless i got there i mean uh, so i spent part of my project i mean i spent uh, spent uh, one year in NCBS and then I moved to Germany and uh, it was one of the pleasant experiences just because my PI made my life very simple. Uh, the Institute has amazing international office, so everything was so smooth. Uh, I got my house, I got the visa and everything else happened so quickly for me.
1: Oh, amazing. So I know you, you lived in Dresden, right? Yes. Have you had a chance to go in any other city in Germany and just visit?
0: Uh, I went to Halle once, Mm -hmm. Uh, that was for a conference, but then I, uh, Prague is just two hours away from there, and I definitely wanted to see Prague at least once. I went to Prague, I went to Krakow, uh, wanted to go to Greece, but didn't happen. Uh, so yeah, those were the countries that
1: I went. I mean, I I have to confess, at least part portion of my Instagram feed is filled with pictures of of German towns right now, and I look very fondly on some of that European German architecture with yeah. really good memories. I mean, I'm curious. I mean, Dresden is, is in the East Germany. I wonder, uh, do you? What what was there any indication of like its former? Soviet-like life, in, as far as the architecture or maybe people. What, what do you think? So
0: uh, I would tell you that before I went, before I landed there, uh, a lot of people warned me. <coughs> warned me that you are going to a region which used to be, which used to have uh, weird history. I mean, it had yeah. weird history. I had no clue about that when I landed there, but. Uh, The day I came there, uh, things were very easy for me, but I started making friends. And some of those friends would tell me encounters of things that happened to them. A few of them were Muslims, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, they unfortunately happened to encounter people who would shout at them and tell them to go back and all of that. None of that happened with me, fortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason that did not happen because i had one of the best house uh i mean house owners uh, so i rented an apartment but that apartment was uh in a house of uh, the landlords mm-hmm. and they, those were one of the best people i've met they made, made yeah. me feel like at home mm-hmm. uh, they gave me food once in a while i mean uh, it's not that they gave me every day, but uh, they would invite me for German dinners. They would invite me when their friends would come over. Uh, we had Christmas parties together. There's apparently a festival that happens uh, sometime in September or November. Uh,
1: October fest?
0: No, no, not the October fest. <laughs> uh, so it's a it's a very specific fest. It, so uh, my house, uh, our house was on the banks of River Elba. Mm-hmm. and uh it's called Elbefest mm-hmm. so uh I think they celebrate arrival of a new season or something like that so they have these stalls and um people are selling food and you have dance and parades and all of that oh,
1: that's so cool. uh,
0: it was amazing and um uh my landlord got me those bands so that I uh I can participate in the festival without any I mean with no cost mm-hmm. and, uh, I had not expected such hospitality there. Uh, Because of all the things people told me before, I expected completely opposite. Yet, uh, I had one of the amazing experiences.
1: That is amazing.
0: Right. So this was not just my landlord, but my PI as well. She would invite us to our home, cook food for us and share uh, her stories. I mean, it was fun
1: did you have to learn a bit of german when 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 you came bef- either before or during your stay there because it was definitely in my e- experience i spent about two and a half years almost three years over there and it, even though i was in an international program like but my bachelor program was not english lots of german students spoke english but i've often encountered the situations where they would when we would go to a pub or a bar and they would just be speaking german for, for the majority of the time, and I would be just there like nodding, like as if I understand things. Was this something that you've experienced too, or actually, it was it, it wasn't the case?
0: Right for us, it was um, not compulsory, but I was uh, asked to take a German class, a course, uh, and that was that happened in a, in my own institute. So mm-hmm. I had to just spend uh, two classes per, I mean, two hours per week, and that was it it was slightly difficult in the beginning uh, to understand what people are speaking around me. I was also a little conscious because I didn't know how people would respond if I start speaking in English uh, when their native language is something else. Uh, so uh, it was slightly difficult, but I would uh, practice as much as I can. I could. Uh, I had this app called as Duolingo and I used to just mug up words at least so that people around don't feel that I'm not even trying. Yeah. Uh, then there was this lady in our cafe who used to speak in English, but would ask us to speak in German so that we learn it, not because mm-hmm. she used to force me. Yeah. And she was very sweet and she would tell us, uh, uh, so even if I make a mistake, she would tell me that you could have speak, uh, spoken like this. Okay. And eventually, if you start using some of the words, even if you don't know the entire thing, People appreciate that you're at least making an effort. So I yeah. work with my friends. I would go in a cafe and speak at least some words, uh, at least of a dessert or how to order it or mm-hmm. function or you say bitte or hello or something like that. So yeah. all of that made a lot of difference.
1: Do you do you still use Duolingo? Because I have to I have to find you there. That's I still use that to learn German. Um, I, I have I haven't done one in about a week now, but I've, I had a 75 day German language streak on that app recently. I mean, so I, that's one of my, my one of my goals is to definitely get my German from just uh, really poor poor man's German version to like something really much more sophisticated and academic. I don't think if I I don't know if I can get there, but I want to try at least. It's
0: right. uh, I want lingo, but I left speaking I mean, I left learning German the day I left Germany.
1: Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I mean, if you don't expect to end up living there, probably it's it's right. it's okay. I just feel like i I missed out on an opportunity to uh, to I don't know just to just be more immersed in a, in a culture. I don't think I could ever be German, but at least I want to have like some kind of certificate that i that I know. German. i only had like an a1 level german that's the only certificate i have so i think i can do better than that
0: <laughs> yeah i mean so, i wanted to do all of that but my time ended there so i had to leave and uh yeah i couldn't so, finish it
1: so around the same time that you were there based on what i could gather from your linkedin profile you was you started developing interested in scientific writing so this is kind of your more recent Endeavor into sort of taking steps away from doing bench work and now more into science writing. So mm-hmm. how did that kind of transition happen to you, and uh, how did it lead you to where you are now in on on the east east side of, of America from and from Germany all the way?
0: Right. So um, uh, when I was uh, doing my postdoc, uh, there's this program called as ECLP so it's a program run by Genetic Society of America, and it's uh, for all the early career um, scientists who want to pursue postdoc or are planning to uh, do it or are already doing it. And uh, it is for uh, it is for helping those uh, scientists to network, to get a feel of what other things are there out there for them to pursue. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this happened because i was i was attending one of the gsa meetings in the states and um, the organizer of this fellowship uh, reached out to me uh, through my twitter account and uh, she told me that uh, we w- we definitely need diverse team and you coming from india it would help us a lot to uh, increase the diversity in our group and we would want to learn from you so I eventually applied for this program and I got in and they, uh, I was very much interested in science communication from the beginning. I used to teach when I was in, when I was doing my PhD, uh, I uh, started being, becoming, I mean, being a mentor for a lot of undergrads kids. Uh, so I, I was quite uh, fond of that. So they put me under a science communication, uh, uh subcommittee. And so the, pa- the role of, uh, Uh, So my role there was to uh, talk to people, talk to scientists who have transitioned from academic uh, field to maybe an industry, or to become a lawyer, or they've become uh, a technology transfer agent, or basically somebody who has transitioned, a scientist who has transitioned. So so we used to interview people who have done some really uh, uh, interesting career transition. I interviewed this first person called Ananda and he had actually gone to become uh, a technology transfer agent after his uh, postdoctoral program. So um, that was the whole aim of the program was to make uh, scientists out there, audience or the students to understand that uh, it's not all about academia and it's not all about industry. There are a lot of careers that you can pursue. So we would write those interviews, uh, talk to them, and then write the interviews uh, for this blog called as Genes to Genomes. And it's on the GSA website. So if anybody wants to have a look and wants to understand what other careers they can pursue, then they can look for that. So this was my first writing stint, uh, a non-academic writing stint, so where we would do these blogs, make these blogs. And I sort of uh, started loving that. I was like, this is uh, not... Uh, primarily academic. I don't have to write publications so I don't have to use jargons and uh, it is I have to use very simple language make a story. This is what I used to do even when I was used, when I used to teach my students like make mm-hmm. a story and teach them. So I really I felt in, I fell in love with that with uh, writing and uh, really enjoyed that. And then when I came to Boston I uh, talked to Rajneesh and uh, uh, he knew that I like writing. So he approached to me uh, maybe last to last year, and then we started working on different pieces.
1: Wow! So I feel you obviously re- written so many different articles just in the in the last year, covering a range of topics. And I mean, having worked in Gene Online myself for I think four five months or something, I mean, I was I mean, I would muster enough in. Strength to write like a, an article or two per per week at most. I think you are much more productive than I ever could be. I mean, is is writing now e- easier for you than ever before, or you or you feel like because you've written so much, you feel like maybe it starts to be a little too repetitive for you, or like where do you see yourself in this sort of writing spectrum? Do you have a writer's block at some points?
0: Uh, <laughs> I would say yes. I have writer's block. But the block is mostly because I don't know how to... So I get blocks when I am starting an article. I don't know how to make... I mean, I'm still struggling with finding that right right line that makes a reader go, wow. So that's something that engages a reader. And I keep struggling with finding that first perfect line or first perfect paragraph. But after that, it becomes easier. So what I did was... Uh, When I started writing, I had I barely read in any uh, news articles, but uh, Rajneesh told me that um, uh, this is something that we would like to do And as a gene online. We we are a news channel, so we would like to uh, write more of news articles, but then also write, of course long detailed articles about any research that comes out of institutes or companies. So I uh, I remember that when I wrote my first article, it was just exactly like how uh, a company publishes on their website, very monotonous, very boring. And I thought, oh my God, what have I written? But <laughs> I had to write something. So, uh, but then Rajneesh modified it and made it more interesting. So it happened like that. But eventually, uh, I started reading stat news. I would read uh, Fierce Biotech. I thought, I don't know how these people, I mean, what is out there? I have to find out how can I modify my language. And so when I started reading that, I realized the mistake that I was doing. I was making it very, I mean, I used to give out information without thinking how the audience would perceive. Uh, it's not always about giving out the information, but also making connection with them. And you have to make it uh, bouncy, you have to make it funny, interesting, all at the same time in an article. So I, so all my inspiration came from these articles. New York Times is something that I love the most, uh, especially during the time when they started writing about vaccines and uh, medicines. They would make it so interesting for a reader and for a person like my husband, he is he's not a scientist, yet he understood what they have written, what what I mean, they uh, took the paper, they made uh, simple paragraphs out of it and presented it to the public. So this is what I aim for. And I haven't reached a stage where I can still write like how they do. So I am still I'm still excited about this field. I keep uh evolving i mean i've been evolving but i keep making myself i try to make myself as much better as i can so, so for uh in terms of writer's block the block is only while writing but not for the field completely
1: okay i see uh so it's it's interesting you bring up F- F- fierce pharma and stat news these are obviously some of the resources that i tend to gravitate to precisely for the reasons that you say they they have really great writers as far as they tell a story and they they really use the language that is fairly easy to understand and follow and it makes it quite engaging. So I, I completely understand what you're saying. So are you do you feel like you are more of a writer or you still spend quite a lot of time reading the news yourself? Because, I mean, we have no shortage of news these days, especially in the biotech or life science world. but what do you find yourself doing more reading the news or writing them
0: i spend more time reading the news digesting it and then making making it in my own i mean presenting it in my own words so majority of my time goes in doing the market analysis so very early on i realized that uh, when you present a news you also have to present facts that would engage investors or engage company um, engage people who would want to see the future of a company so a lot of time at least three four hours just hours just go in finding the relevant information making connection between them looking at the future and the past of a company if i'm writing about a company if i'm writing about a technology then looking at how it has evolved over the time how uh, where all it is being utilized now what is the future of it So all of that. So a lot of time goes in reading and because then after that, it becomes very easy to just write because you know where all the points are. And so I jot down all the points, whatever is important and then make a connection and make a write.
1: I have to say just, just having you, having heard just what you just said makes me feel like that's why you're such a good writer because you're a really good researcher. Right? (laughs) I feel like that's, 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 that's exactly right. Because you, you have the tenacity to go after, and really find those details that you know tell a story from all those different facts that you research. As a matter of fact, so that's 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 really good. Um, one of the things that I found early last year that was quite difficult was the tone of the a lot of news that was coming out. Obviously, just the dire situation that everybody was finding themselves in, and so on and so forth. So it actually had a, a lot of like like let's say negative impact on how I was perceiving the news personally but I feel like I'm not alone in that, but sort of where do you land? Where do you recall how you were feeling around the same time? Because obviously you had to do a lot more research than an average person would. And how did that really change your opinion on what was going on? Did it really make you feel worse about what's going on or actually make you feel better about it?
0: So, uh, it actually made me, I mean, I was quite neutral about it. Uh, mm. in the beginning when everything started, uh, uh I wasn't so much focusing on the news because I am not a kind of person who reads a lot of I mean, is not very up to date with global affairs and all of that. So I would just scan through my Facebook page and see whatever news channel has come up with, uh, but not end up in detail finding about uh, what has happened with the virus and what other in uh, com- countries are doing about it. But then I think in the middle phase, we sort of got really serious. So uh, uh, everybody in my house, like my husband and I, we uh, got super scared about it because uh, everybody was, uh, I mean, a lot of things started vanishing from supermarkets. And I I mean, I never thought that it would uh, become such a big thing. So uh, eventually we got scared. We never got out of the house. We got only groceries and stuff and that's about it so it took us it well, i mean the, those were the uh, that was a time when everything was very dark but then uh, eventually we started going out and uh we had to force ourselves to go out so that we don't become psych psychotic inside staying inside the house yeah. And uh, that tends to happen with a lot of people. So me and uh, and my husband and I, we pushed ourselves. We went for treks. We avoided places which were crowded with people. Mm. But uh, nevertheless did that. Uh, So news-wise, I started reading news only when uh, there would be news about a drug or a vaccine and what companies are doing about it. So my uh, bandwidth was only that particular subject Mm -hmm. i did not read more gross things about what this is doing to people
1: because
0: i mean it was already quite sad so
1: yeah i completely understand Uh, one of the things that really got a lot of attention in in the last year and beginning of this year too is the impact that news and let's say social media has on a lot of the, a lot of the company's finances actually, which is a bit of a pivot from let's say just writing the just writing our news articles. But one of the things that I was paying started paying more close attention to are the press releases from biotech companies like Pfizer, for example. And I'm, I'm not singling them out. It's a lot of companies are somewhat I would say guilty of that that they would just push out a press release about the latest uh, data from their clinical trial which generates so much buzz,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which works like a broken telephone. And that has like huge waves on the stock market and just in the public's perception of how the company is doing. Do you feel like uh, writing coverage on press releases and just having press releases in general when the, the data is not, let's say, peer reviewed or, let's say, completely validated is the right approach for for the companies and just for the the news outlets that are covering them
0: right so uh i personally don't agree that people i mean news uh, companies should put out the news before they have actual data about it but then i have i have people in my family who are waiting for some good news to come out Mm -hmm. and whatever ray of sunshine comes out from any company like Pfizer just mentioned that their vaccine has 94 percent efficacy mm-hmm. and that was just good enough for them to smile like they had a ray of hope that something is going to come out after mm-hmm. all and we have been waiting for that for so long mm-hmm. so i feel uh i mean as a scientist and as a writer i feel that they should not do that unless they have uh complete data about it but then uh as as a family person i feel that anything that gives them hope is mm-hmm. okay. i mean i'm okay about it
1: yeah it is definitely a, a, a sticky kind of question I, I know i understand what you mean because that some of the examples where some of the news that gets that gets published like with pfizer i, I understand i'm i'm on a positive i'm looking at it from a positive side of things but one of the other um other more nefarious examples in my mind was the the Biogen example with their uh, like, the, the, with their uh, enzyme the Alzheimer's drug that they're trying to push down and this right. whole FDA review process that just kind of is working in their favor or not working in their favor it just just generates so much buzz. So I want to s- maybe address this side of things. So when the news gets, let's say we have a press release and that gets covered by various news articles. And then, then there's news articles covering other news articles. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel like, it, how much responsibility does the language with which you write matter in these kinds of communications? Because you can say vaccine works 94%. And when somebody else covers that, you cannot use the same language, but you would probably say, oh, vaccine works. You know, there's how much of a issue you take personally with, how carefully you approach the wording of certain things like that
0: wording is at most important i have seen articles where people write we have found cure for cancer I mean how mis how much misleading is that we have not found cure for cancer yeah. so only when you dig in so these are all uh, lines that uh, that are sort of that help you click on the article and it's like a clickbait Mm-hmm. So I personally don't endorse such things. I would want to be straightforward with people, whether it's a bad data or a good data. It has to be told to the public. They are there to decide. I, I am, as a person, trying to explain them what the bad data means and what the good data means. So whenever I try to re- write an article about a vaccine, I read the entire paper. And find instead of reading the news articles, I first go and find the publication related to that see for myself what bad data have they published whether it's bad enough or not because if i rely on news channels they try to project everything as either very bad or very good but there is no in between situation so i try i do my own research i am as a scientist that's my uh, responsibility to not present uh, data that's uh, half cooked or i mean not tell people about some things that uh, they themselves cannot uh, decipher So uh, as a scientist, my responsibility is to present everything that is as it is in the publication, but present it in a simpler words, not make it too fancy, not make it too easy, not make it too uh, bright. Uh, Like even if the data is bad, don't say that everything is good. Like when I wrote about Pfizer, uh, not many people mentioned about the safety side of it. I went and read entire research article just to see what all safety side effects, uh, what all uh, trials they have done, what safety data did they get out. And I actually mentioned it in my article so that people know that it's not all uh, rosy. There are side effects and one should be careful about it, but the efficacy, the benefits are way, way higher. So don't get scared, Uh, don't avoid taking vaccine. But then also keep in mind that it's not all good. So in case if you have a side effect, you should know about it. Mm-hmm.
1: Do, you, do you feel that there is an overabundance of how much data, not data, but like let's say information that is out there that we just get bombarded with as far as just the news is concerned? I mean, where is the fine line between too much information and just and just the right amount of information? Because especially coming from the, let's say, provider side of things, where you want to give uh, people the opportunity to get to know certain things, do you feel at some point like, oh, that's just that's just too much information. There is way too much coverage on that, and I don't necessarily feel like I, I want to add any more to that than has already been said.
0: Right, and that happens to me a lot of times. I don't. Sometimes I don't know what, which ones to filter out and which ones to keep in, and then I end up. Uh, picking up things which I feel are important for people to know. So I always keep in mind my audience. What will my audience want to know from my article? Why will they read my article? What new information am I telling them that has not already been told? So I look for those uh, pieces or those information which will help them understand a medicine or a vaccine better. And then I write about that.
1: I see. Uh, obviously, science writing is, is a big part of your life right now. But where do you see yourself going? Do you see the science writing being as prevalent as it is to you right now? Or there are some other things on the horizon for you that you feel like you haven't really had a chance to explore yet?
0: There are many things. I mean, bench work is definitely something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I That is one. I mean, Everything right now is at equal priority. Uh, There is nothing at high priority right now. But uh, I am also looking forward to a lot of, I mean, something related to teaching because that is something that I've been doing before, communicating science. Uh, So I definitely want to explore that arena where I can teach maybe college students or, get into programs where I get an opportunity to communicate science, either writing-wise or by speaking or making programs or diagrams or something like that. Mm -hmm. That is one aspect that I've been looking for. Uh, Since I love teaching, I love talking. I'm also looking for roles like where I can go and talk to students about new technology of a company or something that a field application scientist does. Or something related to consulting, which also involves a lot of sales and you have to talk to your customers and make them understand what the technology is, how to troubleshoot that.
1: So yes. yeah. I mean, definitely as far as the, your science communication skills, I mean they, they can only get so much better at this point. I mean, with that much experience doing the science writing, I mean, I think there, you, you might have hitting this the, the upper echelons of, 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 of how science uh, how efficient you will you will be. But what, the question I want to ask you is this, who are the better uh, students, the, the the young children or, or, or let's say adults in college, who is the easiest to teach?
0: <laughs> That's a very difficult question. I have taught both these age groups. Young children are difficult to manage in a way because they never, I don't know how much concentration they have. They... So that's a very difficult thing and to teach them science you have to make them attentive to what you are teaching and to get their attention on that and that's very tough so uh, i try to uh, first engage that class and see if i mean make them some jokes or something that would get their attention to me make the class as friendly as possible so that they don't feel like i am a teacher and they are a student and they need to be disciplined or like that they can ask me questions weird questions meet anything but that's what i'm for uh, older ed, i mean older students are uh, difficult because they can mentally challenge you <laughs> if you're teaching and if somebody starts laughing on you or on your teaching methods then <laughs> can be really disappointing so uh, there are different challenges in both the age groups but i guess <laughs> can be managed
1: okay well thank you so much Rishi, for having a chance to speak with me today it's, it's really an honor to finally have you on this podcast it's, it's been my pleasure
0: thank you thank you so much for inviting me and uh, finally we got a chance to meet and uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you